For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. An incredibly busy week. Major League Baseball flexing its muscles with Field of Dreams. Messi flexing its muscles, as is PSG. And obviously everything in between. Let's go to deal-making issues 3-1. to Three. Sportsbooks able to offer live hole-by-hole betting on the upcoming Ryder Cup, thanks to a deal between distributor IMG Arena and the event operated by the PGA of America and Ryder Cup Europe. The deal continues the rollout of live golf betting by IMG Arena, which will package and offer real-time data for sportsbooks. Bettors will also be able to follow the tournament through real-time shot-by-shot animation offered on participating sportsbooks apps. Unlike the IMG Arena agreement that brought live streaming to this year's PGA Championship, the deal does not include rights to live streaming video on select holes. Terms of the deal not disclosed, but it's for multiple Ryder Cups. The addition of the Ryder Cup is the latest expansion of live play-by-play wagering in golf as the industry looks to drive fan engagement through betting. The golf product already is available for all PGA Tour and European Tour events. The Ryder Cup, September 24 through 26 at Whistling Straits in Kohler, Wisconsin. Deal-making issue number two, we're just off the Olympics, and Russian officials accuse the U.S., amongst others, of cheating and rigging the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Russians are not taking their fifth-place finish in the Olympic medal count on the chin. Both commentators and officials from the country are accusing the U.S. and other countries of rigging the Games, and Russian lawmakers describe other competing countries as Olympic Games as a pack of Russophobic beasts headed by the U.S., including the Russian Olympic Committee. The Tokyo Games marked Russia's worst finish since 1912 Olympics in Stockholm. Russian athletes competed under ROC due to the penalties and bans that Russia was handed after finding out the country was running and backing a doping program. Deal-making issue number two. One. The Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 actively discussing a scheduling alliance to combat the SEC's growth and draw. An alliance between these major conferences would allow the conference to create intriguing matchups between their biggest teams, in an effort to counter the SEC's growing influence. This comes on the heels of the SEC formally accepting Texas and OU as its newest conference members beginning in 2025. With the Big 12 losing its two top-earning programs to the SEC, the potential super-alliance between three of the remaining four-power conferences sees them in a murky situation. There's no arrangement or agreement that's been agreed on yet, obviously. The commissioners of the three conferences have held discussions that have been reportedly going on for weeks, working together as a likely outcome, as reported by The Athletic. 
Certainly more to this story in coming months and more to other aspects of the story, Texas, SEC, and otherwise. The interview this week, incredibly timely beginning of the football season, tolerance and other issues combined with business. Drew Martin, he was born and raised in Memphis and graduated from Mississippi State in 1996 with a degree in communications and public relations. Worked as a student assistant in the Bulldog Athletics area before briefly working at the Big 12 after graduation. Since then, he's held senior staff-level roles at Texas A&M, TCU, and his current position at the University of Texas. And in Austin, he oversees licensing, brand management, marketing, and communications. He's one of the first openly gay people in executive leadership of an elite college program in history. He married his husband, Blake, in Washington in 2005, and at the time they couldn't legally marry in their home state of Texas. He's been an active leader across sports in LGBTQ awareness and inclusion. Substance, tolerance, perspective. Here's Drew Martin. You have had a very diverse career in college athletics with between Texas A&M and TCU, and you started with the Big 12 office. You've been in 20 years. What's the big differences you've noticed between being a Longhorn and where you've been before? You know, there, there's just an, an elevated um, exposure and emphasis on the University of Texas. That, that is such a global brand um, that everything here that we do um, is scrutinized, is looked at, um, and is just elevated on the national stage and global stage. Um, so that's the biggest difference. Well, and, and your reputation has been to provide some enhanced game day experiences for fans. You've got fans who come out of the woodwork, literally, you've had 100 Plus, mm-hmm. what, what was the record that you said? Well, uh, just north of 103.5 against USC. Uh, do you, by the way, from your demographic tracking, do you have the name, address, and blood type of every single individual <laughs> there? How do you do I that? I think if we could get to that level, <laughs> I, I would have solved a lot of people's problems. But so the game day experience, obviously very important. What are some of the novel things you've done since you got here? You know, I, I think the, the two biggest that have gained so much of the exposure are Bevo Boulevard, where we closed down San Jack, uh, the, the street that runs just to the west of the stadium, um, and turned that into more of a carnival atmosphere. I mean, it San is San Jacinto, right? San, 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 San Jacinto, yes. San Jacinto. So we turned that into just a, a walking, basic, Carnival, art festival, you know, whatever you want to call it. We're, we're talking about calling it a midway at some point, um, you know, with food trucks and sponsor activations and inflatables for kids. And really the concept with that and Longhorn City Limits, which is a concert series that happens before football games, um, the concept was giving people a reason to come to campus. You know, we're, we're asking you to spend an entire Saturday with us. Well, beyond the football game, what else are we providing you the opportunity? Why should you get to campus early? Why should you spend the day on campus? Um, and so these were concepts that, that we brought to the University of Texas and um, out of the gates, it was amazing to see how many people really showed up for that first game against Tulsa and packed that boulevard. By the time that the team got here two hours prior to kickoff, it was so full, it was almost a single file line for the guys to, to walk down the street to get into the stadium. And what a great way to welcome the team in. Clearly. And I guess one of the issues, too, is, the, is the, the, the legacy of being a Longhorn and doing things a certain way versus you got to have some new thinking as well. So how do, how do you balance all of that? Well, you know, that is an excellent point. And, and we had to find the juxtaposition between um, really elevating and embracing the Longhorn traditions. You know, for example, Bevo, the, the most revered mascot in, in all of college sport. I mean, well, it's Bevo, 18, what, what, what number it's is Bevo it? 15. 
Um, so is, is, is BO15 okay? Is he healthy? Oh, he's fantastic. Okay. He's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's a young steer. Um, Good. So he, we're, we're um, eight, 1,800 pounds of, uh, of pure steer, and it's his boulevard. So we came up with the concept of let's elevate it, let's get him back to the fans, let's get him out of the trailer and walk him down the boulevard and into the stadium as opposed to what it used to be, which was just drive him in, drop him off, and he goes straight to his pen. Why not have exposure to the fan base out there? Now, I will admit, the first time we did it, and I was a big <laughs> proponent of this, and they get him out of the trailer, and I'm standing right there, and I thought, that's a large animal. And, and there's and by a the lot way, the of shortest people. tenure in the history of University of Texas, <laughs> Bevo's on the loose, ladies and gentlemen. Bevo is on the loose. <laughs> I would uh, I'd probably need to escape the country at that point. Uh, yeah, I think you probably would. <laughs> there is a notion that when you go to all these seminars, I'm sure I've been a lot of them, you have been to too, people have created this word decouching. You've got to get people off the couch, come to the game. And the, the standard argument is, well, we have to have first class. We'll talk about Longhorn Network in a minute. But we have to have standard, good, uh, above the fray, uh, first class uh, television to get people to watch, but you also have to get people to be excited about going to the game. How, how do you how do you reconcile both of those? Right, and and that is a, a huge topic of conversation. Part of it is developing other events around the stadium. What is going to get you off the couch? And if it's just the football game that you can watch, you know, any football game in the country, with incredible coverage, incredible access, you know, in the locker room, in the post game, in the pregame, practically in the huddle. Yeah at certain points, what else are we doing? And that has really shown good faith to our, our fan base that we're serious about wanting them to come. Right. Not expecting them to come, but wanting them to be on campus. And what about branding? You came from Aggies, you came from Horned Frogs, and I think I've, 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 done, I've done this, I've done this, <laughs> I, and now I've you, done this. I well, just, what, is, what is that? Is that, that that's frog? a Horned Frog, yeah. That's a, can't really, you, can't you see? I can't does see you. No, I, I really, Horned Frog sorry. is a lizard. It doesn't hop. Okay, sorry. Um, but it, uh, it, you know, I, gotta, I, gotta, I know where I am by the hand signal that, that I'm thrown at. Uh, Easy to brand in this context? Everybody knows Longhorns? It is. Everybody knows Longhorns. Globally, where we go. I was coming back from San Francisco yesterday and I had a Longhorn uh, pullover on and I had a gentleman stop me in the airport no no branded just could have been anybody in the country looking at us hook them <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes sir know what you're doing let's talk generally <laughs> a little bit about uh, about college foot given your experience then we'll talk about a couple other things uh, you are have and have nots you are one of the definitive have programs clearly your football revenue is among the top five in the country and yet a lot of the Division I programs are here, and there's the annual pigeon hunt where everybody is paid to play early on. What's your perspective on leveling the playing field uh, now that you're with one of the haves? <laughs> it's, a, it's a distinctly dis yeah. different conversation yes, than, uh, than other places, and it's, it's like our athletics director, Crystal Conte, who I worked with at TCU yeah. um, at the time, would say, you know, when TCU was in the Mountain West, right. you know, we're banging on the door, and well, it's, you yeah. know, expand, let expand, expand, let us in. Yeah. You get in, you're like, sorry, boys, we're, <laughs> we're yeah. not on that train anymore. Yeah. Um, and by the way, you share that perception with with uh, our buddies from Ohio State and Oklahoma and, and a few other guys, too. So. We do. It, it, it is becoming such um, an arms race. It's become such a um, such emphasis is placed on, you know, continue to generate that revenue and where are we going from here? There's not, you know, everybody's looking for that next $30, $40 million television bucket and nobody has found that yet. Um, the, the first one to it hopefully shares amongst us, um, but we're certainly on that hunt right now. 
Does the Longhorn Network help you help you with that hunt? Absolutely. That was a that was a huge um, step forward. Um, it's certainly the largest third tier uh, television rights um, in the country in history, um, and that absolutely helps us. Um, and to partner with a brand like ESPN, I mean, two of the biggest brands in sport together, um, that was a tremendous uh, achievement for UT. Are you all happy with the playoff system? Where's it going? Does it go to six teams with buys? Does it go to eight? Do you we know, not know where it goes because the contract's got to run their cycle? The contract's got to run its cycle. Um, personally, I, I, I like four. It creates kind of that drama around, you know, which team gets left out is so much part of that conversation. And even before that, uh, other part of me does like the idea of, of more access. And so if you do go to an eight-team playoff, you can have the five power five. Uh, conference winners. There, there's room for a Notre Dame at that at that point. It leaves room for two more. Are those two other Power Five schools, or there's a group of five schools out there deserving to, to come into the playoff system? Um, you know, there's an argument can be made for that level of excitement as well. But right now, I, I really like the four um, with with one of the leagues always jockeying to figure out who's gonna who's gonna be left out. Let's segue into into another issue. Um, you're one of the first openly gay men. Uh, in an upper administration post in college athletics. Um, what's it been like to go through that evolution in, in an industry that traditionally has been slow to embrace that? Sure. Um, you know, that, that's something that it, it took me a long time to get to. I, I struggled through that in my 20s um, to come to terms even with myself as the, that crossroads between, you know, knowing that I was a gay man, but also knowing that I work in an industry where I didn't see any gay men. Yeah. Um, and so could those two things coexist? And finally reached a point where, um, you know, I had convinced myself early on that those couldn't exist. So I, I just stayed in the closet and stay, kept that very hidden. Um, to a point where that was doing so much internal, you know, psyche damage to me as who I am as an individual, that I had to make the choice to come out and risk being told, there's the door, you know, we don't have room for you here. Um, and fortunately, and, and to my um, pleasant surprise, um, I was fully embraced and have been embraced um, at Texas A&M, have been embraced at TCU, have been embraced at, at the University of Texas. Um, and really it has become a non-issue um, for me, uh, for my husband. And I'm watching sport change and embrace. And if you look at the history, sport has been that great social equalizer. You know, whether we talk about, you know, race relations or whether we talk about, you know, um, gender equality, um, and certainly now LGBT and, and, and what we do with the transgender community now has become a hot topic item. Um, as well, but um, I'm thrilled to watch it progress and I'm, I'm proud to have been on the forefront of that of that change. And we'll talk about that in a minute, the inspirational quality of what you've done. But as you pondered when you would come out, uh, the fact that you're in the South, uh, did that make your concern even larger that you, here's what you might have expected in the South? It, it, it probably did. I, I grew up in Memphis. I went to school at Mississippi State. Yeah. I worked at the Big 12 in Dallas, Texas. I moved further south to College Station, Texas, a little bit north to Fort Worth, Texas, and then back again south to Austin. Um, You're running you know, out of places I'm to go. I'm running out of places to go in the state of Texas. <laughs> um, the uh, 
I really think that that does play into the mindset, but I think it's an unfair comparison because my husband's from Jackson, Mississippi. I grew up in Memphis. Both of our families, you know, from young ages, that, that was not a topic of conversation that was off the table or off limits. Or um, So we, we've been surrounded by supported people. I think when you look at the South as a whole, so many negative connotations come up, particularly around race and sexuality and and you know across the board you 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 think of prejudice um, in that vein and and frankly while I've seen it I haven't experienced it not personally um, so while you know mentally it might it might provide a block there um, it did not play out that way I think that was mostly something I had created in my head maybe it's also a commentary on the power of sports to be able to allow you to act as an inspiration, not just of what you've done, but, but how, you've, how you've positioned it and how you've characterized it from your perspective. Talk about that sure. for me. So, so for me, you know, sport, we, we preach, you know, this, this mentality of, you know, one team, one heartbeat, it's this locker room, it's yeah. us against the world, it's a family, it's this, and so it, it, it creates this oneness. And while that's a really, really positive thing, one of the negative aspects of it is if you are different than, if you are in a locker room full of oneness, but you are an anomaly in that oneness, it can create some friction there. But a lot of the student athletes that I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing and working with um, over the last almost decade, um, or really decade plus, um, they have come to find that that is true regardless of their identity, that they are still in that family, that they are still part of that one heartbeat. It just might be that they're a little bit different than everybody else in the room, and that's perfectly okay. But you're an inspiration not only for the athletes, but for aspiring front office people all over the sports industry. Talk about that. So in 2014, when I did um, a public article uh, with OutSports um, and Sid Ziegler there, um, I was really amazed at the outpouring, not only of support, but of other people like me who were in positions and wanted to progress and move up in the industry. Um, and the amount of, of just at, at the base level of thank you for telling your story, because like me in my 20s and early 30s, I didn't see anybody else that looked like me. I had the opportunity to, to show that this is what it looks like. Um, and to be open and honest uh, publicly, nationally, uh, with my story so that others could say, you know what, I can do that too. Uh, there's nothing magic about what I did. I just one day stepped out and said, I can't, I can't hide this anymore. I want to be who I am at all cost. And um, it, it wound up fortunately inspiring others to be able to do the same. Have you thought about what the NCAA and what, what the institution, but also what what college sports can do to help uh, facilitate uh, what you've done to be uh, a bigger and greater inspiration in the future? Absolutely, and, and I think the, um, you know, I serve on the leadership committee, of the NCAA Common Ground Program, and that specifically is aimed at the, the um, intersectionality between LGBT people and people of faith at college institutions, faith-based, non-faith-based, um, private institution as well as secular public institutions um, to be able to, to facilitate dialogue and provide protection and inclusion and welcoming of people of deep religious faith 
and LGBT people within the athletics programs. And what does that look like? At the very base layer, we provide the constructs for conversation on these campuses so they're using the correct language, they're understanding um, each other from, from each vantage point um, and creating that common ground to have those conversations. So I think that's one area that's very specific when, when you're talking specifically about people of faith and LGBT people. I think the NCAA and the school specifically, there's so many wonderful organizations out there that have um, educational resources and curricula that they can bring to campuses to help educate at the base layer with with the student athlete advisory committees on campuses um, with the coaching staff with the administrators it, it goes top to bottom you know that that you have from the highest levels of leadership all the way down you know to the to the incoming freshman that has no idea they get on campus and it's just wide-eyed uh, don't even know where anything is yet but to be able to have that type of dialogue and that type of dialect that that provides that inclusive environment. Ten years from now, where do you predict it goes? In, inclusion um, handbooks and policies adopted by the NCAA and enforced by the NCAA um, on the membership really is the starting point um, for these dialogues. And I think in 10 years, um, my hope is that it's a non-issue, yeah. that, that it doesn't really matter, gay, straight, transgender, black, white, it's all sport, it's all athlete, um, it's all about the competition and not at all about the um, differences. In fact, I hope that we embrace the differences. My philosophy has always been if you can, if you can allow a student athlete to overcome any perceived adversity, whether that is within their, in my case, within your sexuality or sexual orientation, um, or whether that's within a learning disability, whether that's within a physical disability, a socioeconomic disparity. If you can create a system where you eliminate the energy spent on emphasizing and thinking about and concentrating on that aspect, it allows for the opportunity for the, for the brain and the body to really focus on the physical aspects of competition. Um, I think you just you elevate to a completely different level when you free yourself from those constraints. As far as the normal business of sports, does it come a time in the, well, first of all, how do you reconcile those? And sure. it come a time in the near future where you're focusing 100% on your day job, let's say, and people have accepted so much of what you're doing that you don't feel the need to talk about this anymore? Right. Um, I don't know that there ever comes a time like that. I, I think that no matter what, there's always um, communities, pockets, families. There will always be somewhere out there struggling with who they are. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that you know, staying visible, staying relevant, of being cognizant when I speak at conventions or when I speak to groups that I talk about my husband and use those words specifically so that people see it is very natural to me. I used to hesitate for a second. I used to really gauge the room to see, do I say this or do I say that? And now I have gotten to that point where it is just me. It is just me speaking about my experience in my life. Um, and that includes, you know, my family, my husband, yeah my dogs, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a normal human being um, that is very passionate about collegiate sports. Our normal human being who's an associate AD, five years from now, you're an AD, where is it? <laughs> where will they have me? Who calls first? <laughs> now, where, wherever it is will have to be a good fit, and that starts with um, the head of the, the organization, whether a chancellor or president, 
a trustee board, a regents board, you know, it has to be comfortable. And I, and I will say it again, my husband has to be on board. It has to be somewhere where we feel like we can live, where we can thrive in that community, where we are accepted and embraced. Um, you know, that's the only way that this works. At your investiture as the AD, we get your first interview. Deal? Deal. Deal. Thank How you, about man. that? Really Thank appreciate you, it. Sir. Absolutely. Drew Martin, obviously an interesting perspective in a lot of ways. Let's look at the Tech Minute. The Browns, Packers, and Niners invested in Status Priya, uh, Pro VR Startup, extended reality company. The Status Pro entity pioneered with NFL MVP Lamar Jackson and raised a $5.2 million seed round led by KB Partners and Titletown Tech. Titletown Tech is the venture co-founded by the Packers, Graycroft, Haslam Sports Group, and the 49er Enterprises. Status Pro headed by CEO Troy Jones, Andrew Hawkins, and the startup incorporates player tracking data into augmented and virtual reality to simulate practices and games. They're able to track the data via the Zebra tracking chips worn by all NFL players. Status Pro already in use throughout the league as the Baltimore Ravens use it as a training tool. Lamar Jackson Experience is a collection of first-person games that use player data and numbers to render realistic simulation scenarios a very interesting perspective to watch. Finally, as usual, the diversity and volume of Good Sports 5 this week. Naomi Osaka pledges to donate her Western and Southern Open Tennis Tournament prize earnings to the Haitian earthquake relief. She's been a beacon of inspiration for the young generation as her good acts and persona make her an amazing all-around person, her elite skills on the court notwithstanding and complimentary, but Naomi Osaka, the person, is first-rate. Nico Ali Walsh, the grandson of Muhammad Ali, made his debut wearing his grandfather's iconic Everlast boxing trunks. For Ali Walsh, it's a step in the right direction for what looks like to be a, a promising career in the middleweight division, clearly bringing back memories and philanthropy. The NBA Foundation announced 22 new grants, totally $6 million, to help create employment opportunities, foster career advancement, and drive greater economic empowerment for black youth. The foundation will continue to collaborate with all 30 teams, their affiliate charities, and the NBA PA to support local organizations. Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher Tyler Gilbert, yeah, he pitched no-hitter in his first career MVP start, acquired as a Rule 5 pick, and the 53 first time uh, since 53 to toss a no-no in his debut, only the fourth to do so in history. Diamondbacks, important philanthropically, looking to the league as a leader as they retool. Washington Nationals Philanthropy announces a new legacy field at Freebie, Ferry B. Hope, supported by Max and Erica Scherzer. Kids should have access not only to great education, but also the chance to play as many sports as possible. Proud to support a project that brings all of these opportunities together in one place, says Max. Really interesting and appropriate and positive for Max Scherzer to leave his heart in Washington as he moves on to other places. Good Sports 5, more diverse than ever. 
Well, that's our show for today. We'd like Drew Martin. Thank uh, Drew Martin for giving us perspective as he moves forward in many contexts in life. We'd like to thank those who helped put the show together. We'd like to thank you all for watching and listening. And join us next week when we continue to move forward in a $1.3 trillion business of sports. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.